Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we take the Word of God and preach a timely message from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church of Fallon, Nevada. Starting a series entitled, Come Closer, Come Closer. You realize that God wants to have a close relationship with every single person who's ever been born? He desires to have a relationship with you. He desires for you to come closer to knowing him. Uh, Part of the reason why in our Christian life, if we know Christ as our Savior, we're not immediately taken out of this world and taken to heaven is that there's a couple reasons. One, he wants us to preach the Great Commission. That's to preach the gospel. That's to preach uh, the baptism by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to teach the commands that God has given us, that Jesus has given us. We looked at that last week. And, and, but he also desires for us why we are on this earth is to grow closer in our relationship with him as we get to know him better. For the next three weeks, though, we specifically are going to be looking at uh, um, the, the message of salvation. Because you cannot have a close relationship with God if you don't have a relationship with God in the first place. And the very first thing that you have to have is a relationship with God before you can grow and know him better. For our Commands of Christ year-long series, we're going to divide it into different types of commands, into individual series throughout the year. We're going to start with that first series, and the next seven weeks the series is Come Closer. Seven commands to draw closer to God. How does one approach God? This question would be nearly impossible to answer had it not been for the Father's only Son who showed us the way. When we take a look at the life of Christ, we see nothing was more important than his relationship with the Father. In turn, Jesus' desire is for us to also have a close relationship with his father. A a lot of times we get focused, and we were even talking about this in Sunday school this morning. Uh, You'll hear people say, well, I have Jesus in my heart. No, you don't. You have the Holy Spirit in your heart. When we look at the Godhead and we break that down, we have to understand that there are three distinct offices, even though there's one Godhead. God desires for us to have a relationship with him. How do we have that relationship? It's through our salvation in Jesus Christ and by the Spirit who indwells us. And you will see throughout all of your study when it comes to worship of God, when it comes to salvation and people coming to know Christ at salvation, it all works through the Godhead in unison. And so Jesus had such a powerful and wonderful relationship with his father. He desires for us to have that as well. And we do that by being sold to the Holy Spirit because we've been bought by the price of the blood of Jesus Christ because of the love of God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus commands are both instructive and informative. While they give instruction for our lives, they also give us information about the Father. In fact, listen to how Christ has shown us that he desires for us to have a closeness with the Father. In Matthew 5, 48, it says, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Oh, that's a tall ask. We have to be perfect? 
Well, we should be working towards being more like the Father, should we not? Because who is Jesus commanding in this passage? Was Jesus talking about himself? No. You realize that's a command that Jesus gave? Be therefore perfect as your Father is perfect. Paul says it this way, be holy as the Father is holy. We should always continually be coming to God and having a closer relationship with Him and getting to know Him better and more intimately, uh, letting Him change things in our lives that don't need to be there. It's a lifelong process. But it's still something that Christ commanded us to do. Be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. The call in this command is for us to live a life worthy of our calling as Christians. But it also tells us something about the Father. What is revealed is that God wants us to come closer in our relationship with him. Jesus desires for us as people to have and enjoy the same type of relationship that he had with the father. A lot of times we look and we're like, there's no way that we can have the same kind of relationship that Jesus had with the father. Were you not adopted into his family if you know him as your savior? Then are you not sons and daughters of God? And if we are sons and daughters of God, guess what? We can have a close relationship with God just as Jesus had a close relationship with God. He wants us to draw closer to him. Take time to read through John chapters 15 and 17, and you'll see that God desires for us to have that same relationship like Christ had with him. So how do we have this relationship with the Father? How do we come closer to God? These are the questions that we're going to try to answer through this series of messages. Come closer. Seven commands to draw closer to God. The first thing that we must learn is in order to draw close to God is there has to be a change in our lives. There has to be response to the call to repent. The first command that we see today is a one word command. Repent. You know, a lot of people don't repeat, don't uh, preach on repentance today. I think largely because we don't understand what repentance is. But the first step towards God is the first command that Jesus Christ at the, gives at the beginning of his ministry. When we come to Jesus' ministry, we come to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. So what's happening in Matthew chapter 4? Um, right before this, in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, Jesus comes and he's baptized by uh, John the baptizer, John the immerser. Uh, people will say, well, it says John the Baptist. Uh, the word Baptist was translated, uh, transliterated. It, it's the Greek word baptizo. So they just said, well, Baptist. What that word means is to immerse, to put underwater. And so John, that's what he was known for. He was known, and, and he was one who was crying for repentance. Now, he said, repent and be baptized, because when they were being baptized, it was a show of their faith that they were repenting, and they were looking to the future Messiah. But then Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 3. And Jesus comes, and, and he goes to where John is baptizing people, and John recognizes who it is. And Jesus says, hey, you need to baptize me. And John's like, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and unloose your sandals. I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the one that I've been preaching about coming. 
I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, you will, because I need to fulfill the prophecy that God has given of me that I'm to be baptized. And it is a picture that is given to us for today after salvation that we belong to Jesus Christ and to God, our Father. And Jesus was doing it as an example to us. And so this is right where we end. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan right after this. So for 40 days, he's being tempted. Uh, he's in the wilderness fasting and praying. He comes and he's tempted by Satan. And then just a little further and Jesus gives his first command. We're going to look at what that command is. Matthew four seventeen. From that time, what time? From the end of the temptation until the end of Jesus's death, burial and resurrection. This is the message that Jesus preached. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, repent. For the kingdom of God is is at hand. Everybody had been looking for the future Messiah. Everybody had been looking for the kingdom of God to come down. And Jesus's response was, you need to change what you're doing because the kingdom of God is here. It has arrived because the Messiah has come. And now you must repent if you want to know the kingdom of God. You see, there's there's so many people today that we're so busy trying to build our own little castles that we're forgetting that God has called us to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's not about our own little castles. It's about us going out and saying, Jesus Christ died for you. He was buried and rose again. You need to repent of your sins to, in order to know Jesus as your Savior. So the first step towards God it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus' first command is to repent. Before you can ever come close to God, there has to be a change of your life. This is not a turning over a new leaf type of change. Because the truth is, there's no change without the one who brings change. You can try to change all you want. How many of you guys have ever tried to change a bad habit on your own? What happened? You failed. You went right back to it, right? I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. This is not what it's talking about. When Jesus says repent, he's not saying, hey, turn over a new leaf. That's not what he's talking about. There has to be a change in our mind and a turning to something. And that something cannot be ourselves. It has to be the Savior, Jesus Christ. Many people are trying to have a relationship with God, but they fail to take the first step of repentance. I hear people all the time say, well, I pray to God all the time. I pray to God for this, and I pray God for that. I pray for God. God's not hearing it. Why? Because you don't have a relationship with Him. You have to have a relationship with God. Now, does God answer prayer sometimes of the lost? Absolutely He does. Because if He didn't, how could a lost man pray for salvation? I've seen lost people pray, hey, God, would you send someone in my life to tell me more about who you are? And you know what God does? He answers the prayer. But there's a lot of people that think that they're right with God because they pray to God and they read their Bible, but they've never repented. 
that does not let you enter into a relationship with Christ. There has to be repentance first. Maybe you too have been trying to have a relationship with God, but you're, you aren't seeing that relationship grow. You might very well read your Bible. You might very well come to church and maybe even talk to God. But unless you have repented of your sin, all of those good works are worth nothing. Jesus' very first words of his ministry began with his call to repentance. You might be wondering, what is repentance? What does that mean? Now, I'm going to give you the American English uh, dictionary definition of repentance. Repentance, it means to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Now that sounds good. There are people that repent that way all the time. It repented Judas that he had betrayed Jesus. Was that saving repentance though? No. It was remorse for something that he did, but there's an action that also has to take place. The American English Dictionary's definition is a good definition of a type of repentance, but it does not compare to the repentance of the Word of God because the Greek word it has an even stronger definition. It's not only to, to have remorse or regret of our sin, it means to change one's mind for better. To heartily amend with abhorrence one's past sin. You know what it means? It's not, oh, I'm sorry for my sin. It's, I hate my sin. I want nothing to do with my sin. I want to turn away from my sin. I want to get away from it. I no longer want that in my life. It's not, oh, I'm sorry I got caught for my sin. It's, I don't want it in my life any longer, and I'm turning to something else. That is what repentance is. Jesus calls you to view your sin as an awful and abhorrent thing. This is hard for us to do because it means you have to humble yourself and realize that apart from God, your sin condemns you to hell. That there is nothing good that you could ever do in and of yourself apart from God. Repentance is an admission of our faults and at the same time, recognition of God's holiness. And that without admitting and turning away from our sin and to a holy God, we can never have a relationship with Him. The second thing, the second step towards God, number two, the repentance turns us in the right direction. It turns us towards coming back to the perfect relationship with the Creator. Christ understands our habit of self-directing. But his call to repentance is to turn away from self and to acknowledge that Christ is the one who is better suited to guide and direct our lives. Because here's the thing, we're all really good at self-redirecting. Oh, well, you know what? I know I need to lose some weight. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go direct over here to make sure I'm eating healthy. I'm going to just try eating food first and see if that works. Well, that's not working. Oh, then I'm going to turn and I'm going to redirect myself towards exercise. 
Those things are good. It's a good thing for you to do. We're good at self-redirecting. We're even good at self-redirecting in the church. Oh, you know what? I'm really, I really don't want to do that sin anymore. I really don't like that sin in my life. I really don't like that. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to move over here. But then we stand over here and we look over and there's that sin. Oh, that looks nice. Why? Because we're focusing on self. I can do this. I have the strength to overcome this. I have the strength not to go back to that. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to go right back to it. There's a lot of young Christians who come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I truly believe that they repented of their sin. They come to know Christ as their Savior, and, and they, they turn away from their sin. And for a time, they're walking the way that God wants them to, but then they start getting their eyes on everything else except for God and Christ. They forgot that the repentance required them to view Christ for who He was and why they needed Him in their life. We also do that. Even mature Christians sometimes forget that our eyes have got to be fixed on Jesus Christ. And when we come to the last command of these seven, you know what the you know what the command's going to be? Repent! And you know who that's to? The believers. But today we're talking about entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first step of that is repentance. Is repentance enough, though? It's saying, God, I realize that my sin is sin and that I deserve to be condemned because of my sin. And I'm turning to you. Is that enough? Well, let's see what Jesus Christ has to say. He's the commands that we're looking at, correct? Is admitting that you're a sinner and that you fall short of the holiness of God enough to have you enter into a relationship with God? The answer, to answer that, I think we need to see what Jesus says. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And listen to what he says. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Well, wait a second, this sounds just like what we read with repentance, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What did Jesus just say? The time is fulfilled. What time? The Messiah is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. And then look what Jesus says. And believe the gospel. There's a lot of people in this world that have gone to the extent of saying, I repent and I realize that my sin is sin and that my sin separates me from God and that I need God who never turn in that repentance and believe. There has to not only be the repentance, but there has to be the belief of the gospel as well. Being sorry for our sins and our failures isn't enough. We must take another step. Jesus makes it clear that there has to be a repentance, a turning away from sin, and then a believing, a turning to Christ. And many times, I believe many times people get these things backwards. They think, well, if I admit to God that I'm a sinner and that I'm sorry, that's enough to save them from sin. They go on trying to keep the good things that Christians are supposed to keep supposed to 
but only find themselves frustrated that they cannot keep doing good. You ever met somebody like that? Oh, well, I prayed a prayer. I said I was sorry for my sins. And I'm trying my best to do all the good things, but I just can't keep them. Well, there's a problem. Either, number one, you're not sold to the Holy Spirit, or I think the bigger problem is most likely you don't have the Holy Spirit. And you can only have the Holy Spirit if you know Christ is your Savior. There has to be salvation. Pastor, this is a harsh message. Do you think that Jesus had a reason for giving this message right up front as the first command? I believe so. The reason that they can't keep doing good is because they're still trusting in their own goodness to be what makes them a Christian. But God says this about our self-righteousness and efforts to do good without him. Isaiah 64, 6. But we all are as unclean things, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we do not fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. He says, all the self-righteousness that you try to do is nothing but filthy rags. If you are trying to prove that you're a Christian by all the good things that you are doing, because that's what makes you feel like you're a Christian, you might need to examine and say, God, have I ever truly repented of my sins and believed in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? When it comes to this idea of filthy rags, the picture here is one of two pictures is what most scholars believe. Either it's the rags that the lepers would wrap themselves in to hide all their sores, or it was the menstrual rag. Of a woman. Both gross. And he says your righteousness is like that. Your self-righteousness that you try to do on your own is filthiness. So if you are trying to do all the good works to prove your salvation because it makes you feel saved, you really need to say, God, would you examine my heart and know my heart and see if I ever have truly put my faith and trust in you yes i've said i'm sorry for my sin but i also know that there has to be a believing because jesus said repent and believe repent and believe but there's another way that we get this confused there are some that completely skip over the idea of repentance and think that believing in jesus is enough to save them from their sins they acknowledge Jesus. They'll claim that they know he's real. They may even sound like they know him by the way that they talk, but they believe that believing in Jesus is enough. But is believing in Jesus as a real person and that he really died on the cross and rose again enough? Is that enough? No. Now, most of my teenage years, I grew up in the Bible Belt. Uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia. Everybody there believes in Jesus. Oh, man, everybody there knows that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again. And a lot of them go to church, and they talk about how much they know who Jesus is. But then you start to ask them about salvation. Well, I've always been a Christian. You can't always be a Christian. Well, what if I was born into a Christian home? Doesn't make you a Christian. 
What makes you a Christian? Salvation. No one can be born into salvation. Every person has to come into their life where there's a time that they believe and understand their need for repentance and their belief in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people today that sit in churches that say, well, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he, he, he died for people's sins. I believe that he's a real person. That should get me to heaven. And they will die and they will go to hell because they've never accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior. What did Jesus' followers say? Is it, is it enough? James 2.19 Thou believest that there's one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You're not going to see the demons in heaven. They believe in Jesus? Yeah. You can believe in Jesus all you want. But if there's never come a place where you've repented of your sins and turned in belief to Jesus Christ, you will die and go to hell. See, both things are important. You can repent and say you're sorry of your sins all you want, but if you don't turn to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will die and go to hell. You can say, I believe in Jesus. I know that he died on the cross, that he was buried and rose again on the third day. I know he did that for the sin of men, and I know that's true, but you've never repented. You'll die and go to hell. Even the demons saw and believed Jesus was a real person, and they feared him. But you're not going to see any demons in heaven. Number three. The faith step towards God. As Christ spoke these commands to repent and to believe, he introduced to his hearers valuable, life-transforming truths. For them to enter into his kingdom, for them to become a part of the glorious family, they would first have to repent and then believe in him as the resurrection and the life. As Jesus said to Martha in John eleven twenty five, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Maybe you've been the one who said, well, I prayed and asked God to forgive me, so that means I'm saved. Does it? Does it? but you're struggling to actually find the joy and peace in your life. I would challenge you to look and see, do you have repentance without making the step of belief? You see, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. What is he raising you from? The dead. And where is he putting you in? Life. But you cannot enter the resurrection and the life there's not been a belief. I, I'm ashamed of kind of just things that happened in my life growing up. And I can remember when I was sharing this on Wednesday night. I can remember that there was a church that I went to when I was a teenager. And we would have soul winning competitions. Because that's so holy and great and God pleasing not you, you know who who was pleasing me the ones who were doing the competition so in composition 
And so for us teenagers, it was like, all right, for every door you knock on, you're going to get a point. For every person that gets saved, you're going to get three points. For every person that comes to, to church that you knocked on their door, you're going to get five points. Well, that sounds so spiritual. Sounds like a wonderful thing to do, right? So I did I, diligently as a teenager. And, and again, I think, as Paul said, if Christ is preached, he's going to glorify and be happy that Christ is being preached. Was Christ being preached? Sure. Was it done in a method that I think really is the way that God wants to use it? Probably not. But was Christ being preached? Yes. So we should glorify that Christ was being preached. But I would go out after school and I would go start knocking on doors all around my neighborhood. Knock, 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 knock. You know, somebody would come to the door. All right, fine. Somebody come to the door. All right. Hey, do you know that, uh, uh, do you know where you're going to go to uh, when you die? Well, that's kind of a strange question to ask right at the door, right at the beginning. Well, you know, you only have two choices, heaven or hell. Do you know if you're going to go to heaven if you die? Well, I, I'm not sure. And so you lead them through and you would say, all right, all you have to do is pray. Just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross, was buried and rose again to pay for my sins. Come into my heart and my life and save me. I don't know how many people prayed that prayer and had no idea what was going on. And they're not saved. Why? Because it wasn't a prayer that saved you. A lot of them were probably praying to get me off their doorstep. Oh, but then I got to church, man. I lost to a girl. Second place. Man, I knocked like a thousand doors. Saw 15 people come to know Jesus. But did they really know Jesus? I, I'm, I'm not happy with it. Because now I sit there and wonder how many people prayed a prayer and think that they're saved because they prayed a prayer. Well, there's some young boy that came to my house 30 years ago. And I prayed a prayer, and he told me if I prayed a prayer, I'd be saved. But where's the repentance? Where's the true belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior? You see, you can pray a prayer and you can try to go through all the motions and you can try to keep everything the way that you're supposed to. But if there's never been a repentance, a turning away from your sin and a turning to Christ and knowing that he's the one that you have to keep your eyes fixed on. It's not the good works. It's not coming to church. It's not reading your Bible. It's not praying. It's not saying all the right things. It's not never cussing. It's not telling other people about Jesus. It's I repented of my sin and I trusted Jesus as my Savior and he alone is the one who gave me salvation. I cannot do anything good apart from him. All of my self-righteousness is as filthy rags. But when I know Christ as my Savior and I live for him and I live through him and I live by him, then his righteousness is seen through me because he is my Lord and my Savior. He is my salvation. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Christ because I put my faith and trust in him and I repented of my sins to him. There has to be both the repentance and the belief 
Maybe you believe that uh, there's a Jesus. And you believe that he paid the price for your sin, but you've yet to come to him in repentance. Remember, repentance is changing one's mind for better. Heartily to amend with abhorrence one's past sins. What does it mean to abhor something? I want nothing to do with my past. Now, does that mean that we won't struggle with our past? We certainly will. You look at Paul as an example. He's giving his epistles. At one point, he's, he's saying, well, I was, man, I was the most religious of them all. And then the next point, not only was I the most religious of them all, I also tried to keep the commandments as much as I could. But then when you finally come to Philippians, he comes and he says, you know what? I thought I had everything together. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As of touching the law, I was a Pharisee and I was perfect. But all those things that meant something to me in the past are nothing but a pile of dung today because I know that everything belongs to Jesus Christ. He looked at his past and he was talking about his past. And how many times Paul said in his own in his own words, the things that I sh- know that I should do, uh, those things I don't do. And the things that I know I shouldn't do and I try to do things I'm supposed to. I do the things I shouldn't do. Paul understood that there will be a constant struggle because the old man is still there. The old man is still in our lives. But we ought to get to the place where we come to Christ often and say, God, I repent. I want to turn away from that old sin. God, please help me not live in that old man. But there has to come a point in time, first of all, where you repent of all of your sins. What does 1 John 1.9 tell us? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of sins. Uh, uh, to, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There has to come that point in time where you've turned to him and you say, God, I abhor my sin so much and I believe that I need your son to be my savior and I accept him as the Lord and savior of my life and I'm turning my back on the sin. Well, we're going to be tempted to go back. We're going to struggle. Not everybody who comes to know Christ as their savior is going to stop drinking right away or stop smoking right away or stop Uh, doing other sins right away. They're still going to struggle with it. Are there some people that do stop those things right away? Yeah. And should we act like if if we were one of the ones that were able to stop all those things right away, should be like, oh, well, they must not be saved because I was able to stop right away. No, that's self-righteousness. It's a change of mind about your sin and to hate your past sins. If you are living a life any way that you please with no remorse for your sinful ways, then you've missed the command of Christ. And there's a good chance that you'll miss out on true salvation in heaven if you do not return in repentance from your sin. You see... How many of those people did I knock on their door and 
lead them in a prayer that just went right back to who they were. Probably every single one of them. Why? Because there was no true repentance. When we come to know Christ as our Savior, what does the Bible say that we become? Behold, all things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. We become a new creature. If you prayed a prayer and there was never a change in your life and there was never a change in your mind about sin, it's because you never came to the place of repentance. Pastor, this is a hard message. You're being hard on us. Because I hope to have the heart of Jesus. When Jesus cried, repent, because he wanted people to know him as their Savior. He wanted them to have a relationship with him. And as a pastor, my heart should be for every single person that comes into the door of Victory Baptist Church and every person in our community to say, repent. Don't you want to know Christ as your Savior? Don't you want to have a true relationship with him? Don't you want to have him as the Lord and Savior of your life? But there has to be a turning away from your past. And there has to be a turning to Jesus Christ. And then there has to be belief that he did everything he did for you because he loved you that much. And if I did not preach what the word of God said, then I do not love you as Christ loves you. Christ did not shy away from preaching the hard message because he preached it in love. And I preach this in love to you as well. If you've never repented of your sin and you've gone on living the way that you always lived before you supposedly came to know Christ as your Savior, ask God to search your heart and say, God, do I even know you as my Savior? Do I even know you? God, I'm trusting a prayer to get me to heaven and not what you told me to do, and that was repent of my sins. I believe in Jesus. Great. But have you turned from the old man to the new that only comes through the resurrection in the life of Jesus Christ? I can remember the day that that became reality to me. August 9, 2002. 20 years old. All my life, I grew up in church. Prayed a prayer when I was four years old. I didn't want to go to hell. I was scared of hell. Didn't really realize my need of a Savior. I just didn't want to go to hell. Eight years old, prayed a prayer. Then got completely confused because as the man was presenting what the free gift of salvation was, he gave me a dollar. And as an eight-year-old boy, I'm like, I got a dollar. And my distraction, my, my mind went away from what the word of God was even saying, especially when after I prayed, he asked for his dollar back. <laughs> and now I'm like, well, so is Jesus taking, does he take my salvation back? And at 20 years old, on a Friday night, sitting about five rows from the front of the Auditorium. We had a group come from the Academy of Arts and did a program on the events of 9 11. 
been struggling all summer long, not having peace in my life, not having joy in my life, looking for every reason why I had to be saved. Confessing, oh, I've got an addiction to pornography. I confess that, thinking that would make me feel better. You know what it did? Nothing. I, I, I would ask people, hey, do you see anything in my life that would tell you I'm not a good Christian? There's a problem there anyways. If I'm looking to other people to tell me whether I'm a good Christian or not, and I'm looking for their approval to tell me whether I'm a good Christian or not, there's a problem. Oh, I don't see anything in your life. Man, you sing in the choir. You, you, you teach children's church. You do uh, Wednesday night Awanas. You're doing everything a Christian's supposed to. But on August 9th, 2002, I knew because God had revealed to me that if I died, I was going to split hell wide open because I was trusting all of my good works and a prayer of the past to be what was my salvation. And there had never been a time of true repentance to Jesus Christ. So I grabbed my dad by the arm and I said, Dad, I need to know Jesus. I was planning on coming to know Christ. I was planning on going to college when I was away from the church. Because I didn't want the embarrassment of everybody at church saying, well, look at that hypocrite doing all the things in the church and he wasn't even saved. But I realized I'm, I'm not promised tomorrow. And God had been working on my heart all summer and, and God didn't promise me another day. And I grabbed my dad and said, Dad, I need to be saved. My dad said, What? I said, Dad, I need to be saved. We went to the altar. He said, Aaron, I don't know what to tell you. You know the Bible. You know what it says. And I poured out my entire life before the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of my sin and asked him to forgive me of everything I had ever done and told him, God, I no longer want to live in the life that I've been living in. I am turning away from my sin and I am turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and I need him as my Lord and my Savior, and I believe what your word says, that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again for my sin, and I repent of my sin, and I turn to you, and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And there's never been a doubt since because I was no longer relying on a prayer I prayed at eight years old, but I was relying on what the Word of God said when Jesus said, repent and believe. In all truth, none of the rest of the commands will really mean anything if you've not obeyed this command. Yes, we're going to look at other commands that point us to salvation. But this very first command that Jesus gave is key to all of the other commands. Our first response to coming closer to God is to obey this command. To repent. To realign our lives to Christ's. To His truth. His way. His authority. And to believe that He... And He only can forgive you of your sins and bring true life.
He is the resurrection and the life. If you don't know Him, won't you come to know Him today? If you're watching by live stream, get on the chat. This lady's watching it. Let her know. I need this. She'll let me know. I would love to show you from the Word of God how you can know Him. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor Aaron, I realize there's never been a point of repentance. Oh, I believe. But there's never been a point of repentance in my life. And now I realize that I need to repent and believe in order to have salvation. Get that settled today. If you have been relying on the repentance and knowing that you're a sinner and knowing that Jesus died on the cross, but you've never come to believe in him as your Lord and your Savior, come and do that today. Not only repent of your sin, but turn to the Savior. Repent. Repent.